father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? What's lightsabers, precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time with fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. I- I'm Joanna. Hi. Hi, Ryan. How's it going? Uh, not too bad. Um, what's new? We're really going to start this way. Yeah, we're going to start this way. What's new? Tell us what's new. Nothing, Joanna. It's, uh, Star Wars news? I mean... You don't have any. I don't no, have any let's let's just skip either. this beginning nonsense. Let's get right into it. All right, fine. So, we, usually we spend this beginning part talking about news and stuff. But we don't have any, so we're just going to get right into the business. Right down to brass tacks. I know you have a lot to talk about. I have a lot to talk about. So, screw all the niceties. Tell me about Return of the Shadow Part 3, Joanna. All right, my good bitch. Hey. First, I'd like to start with a clarification. Come on, swears in the podcast right off the bat. Can I clarify something? Can you not swear in the first minute of our podcast? But I really do need to clarify something. Okay. I got so wrapped up in the hilariousness of the suggestion that Bill Fernie named his pony after himself so it could serve as a proxy for his anorexia. That's not true. I failed to point out it was technically Sam who called the pony Bill. He named it after Bill. Kind of, yeah, which is like weird in and of itself. That's not to say that Bill Fernie didn't give his pony an eating disorder, Mm. but it's not quite as it was portrayed on the last episode. It's a pretty sick own by Sam, though. I'm going to ride on you, Bill. Riding you all around town, Bill Fernie. Pure ownage, Samwise Gamgee. And so that I thought we should just lay out at the at the top here. I don't. I, okay, I'm sure everyone was really worried about that. So I'm glad. Ryan, you... I just like to be accurate. Okay. Sure. If I can. Okay. Most of the time I can't, but I do try. All right. So last time, we ended at Rivendell with Tolkien having made a number of suggestions to himself. Yes, I remember this. Yeah, so for example, he wanted to reduce the number of hobbits. Mm-hmm, too many hobbits. He wanted to change Bingo's name. Bad choice. And he clarified that the Dark Lord desires Bilbo's old ring because it is the one ring to rule them all. Yes, that maggot of an idea became a full-on housefly at that point. It did. He was kind of delayed in actually implementing any of these changes. But he did decide to start over again from the beginning. Again. Yeah, he decided to take this opportunity. Why not just restart it? Why just why not just scrap it again for like the eighth time? God, who are you, George Lucas? And God. apparently, yeah, apparently he just had all the time in the world. And apparently the Hobbit sold so well that the publishers were just like, do whatever you want. Well, yeah. Well, I don't care. Whatever, JR. Whatever, Jolkin, Rolkin, Rolkin, Tolkien. This is your show. You call the shots. They just call him JR. Is like a nickname for JRR? My friends call me J-R. J-R. Just knock off one of the R's. My Sounds best friend cool. calls me J, but no one is my best friend. He doesn't have a best friend. Christopher won't let him. Yeah. I'm your best friend, Daddy. Only Christopher. Well, I mean, he did have C.S. Lewis. But yeah, maybe, maybe Christopher didn't know about that. Yeah. He comes home well, late from drinking with C.S. Lewis, and Christopher's just, like, sitting on the couch waiting for him to get home. What's interesting is that C.S. Lewis was just Tolkien's nickname for his friend C.S.S. Lewis. That's little how, known fact. That's how, that's how friendship works. That's how friendship works. Okay. I wouldn't so, know. I don't have any friends either. But anyway, we can go through a lot of these changes really, really quickly. When he went back to Hobbiton, uh, the long-expected party, there was some logistical reshuffling, but nothing was that 
substantially different. Mm-hmm. Uh, except the Bagginses have a dwarf manservant called Lofar. Oh, wow. Yeah. I kind of like, like Lofar. Like Lofar, get the door. I kind of like Lofar. Lofar, fetch my slippers and pipe. Lofar. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so it's weird. He doesn't really play much of a role in the plot. I think Tolkien just liked the idea of them having a manservant. But having to be a dwarf is just interesting because the Hobbiton is so insulated. Yeah. But to have like this this dwarf, this sturdy little guy doing the dishes and stuff. It was like, kind of a scandal on Hobbiton, I'd like to think. Yeah. Also, I hope they treated him well because your manservant could like literally kill you in two seconds. He could throw you so far. He could literally launch you. And he would. And when Bilbo leaves the Shire, Tolkien uh, had Gandalf in this version say au revoir and then was immediately like, wait, that's stupid. Why is he speaking French? It's not French. It's elvish. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. But it was French. And he actually wrote down like, Gandalf doesn't know French. <laughs> this is dumb. All right. So anyway, apart from that, the only major thing is that this is the first appearance of the scene where Gaffer Gamgee, his son Sam, and some of their rustic friends are talking about Bilbo and Bingo at the pub which is retained in the published version and also in the film. So this is the part in the movie where Gaffer Gamgee says that Bilbo is cracked and Frodo is cracking, and the only reason I mention it is because it's Sam's first entrance into the narrative! And this guy Sam, he's on crack! He's on crack. If crack is his love and loyalty for his employer. Mm-hmm. Nothing uh-uh. more addictive than loving your boss. Ancient history, so i.e. the story of how the ring came to be, how Golem had it, and narked on the Bagginses to the Dark Lord, etc. Right. This also didn't change that much, but there are a few minor but interesting differences. So, the three rings of power given to the elves are mentioned, and they are said to be the rings of earth, air, and sky. No word on who got the rings of water and heart. Presumably whichever elf, like, sucked the most got them. Yeah. Because that's objectively the worst one. Sorry, Mati. No, it's really useful. It's so so broad. You could basically, it's basically mind control. Okay, Mati could make it useful, but he does not. He's got a pet monkey. He uses it to like stop a rampaging rhino, but he never uses it to change the heart of like Blight or any of the other bad well, guys on that show who aren't Blight. Their hearts are already cold and polluted and cannot be changed. There's only so much a damn ring can do. Right. 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 So, anyway, there's also some confusing insinuation that Gollum was using the riddle game to try and get Bilbo to take the ring on purpose, since he didn't really want it anymore Mm, in his heart of hearts. Interesting. Which is like a psychologically complex idea. I think that they... I feel like you could read it that way, but they don't go out and state it Mm -hmm. in the published version. Also... There's this freaking incredible part where Gandalf talks about how Gollum was bumming around in Mirkwood and eating babies. Now, Joanne, I've heard some incredible things, but that is truly friggin' incredible. It's amazing. It's so amazing. Like, it's just implied, but just imagine Gollum, like, sneaking around in Mirkwood, subsisting entirely on babies. I bet he had all kinds of cool but dead baby jokes. He probably did. Hey, like, what's the difference? Want to what's... play original scheme? Yes, I want to play it. Let's, let's, let's hear it, Ga- Gollum. I don't know any dead baby jokes. <laughs> you don't know any dead baby jokes? No, did I you do. even go to high school? No, I do. How about this? How about this? How about g- this? G- What's the difference between the one ring and a pile of dead babies? What's that, precious? We doesn't have the one ring stored in the back of our garage. <laughs> Me gets it! In the older version, this older yeah. version, it's also less that Sauron's forces captured Gollum and forced him to snitch on Bilbo, and more that he went straight to Sauron and snitched of his own volition. Okay. So he's like, I told the Dark Lord on you, bish. Yeah. What you gonna do? I mean, he went to talk to the manager. He went to talk to you. Can I speak to a manager? Suddenly he has, like, that middle-aged lady haircut yeah. where it's all gelled up in the back. He wants to talk to a manager! <laughs> we need to do it quick before we have to take Brayden to his soccer game. <laughs> 
So we also now get a full story of Isildur cutting the ring from Sauron's hand, then getting arrowed to death while trying to swim across a river. Previously, it was just some random unnamed elf who, like, dropped the ring after getting murdered in a It's a little better if he's got a name and he's important. Yeah, exactly. Leaving the Shire. See how fast we're going through this? Yeah. The hobbits are now Bingo Bulger Magic. <laughs> Bingo Bulger Magic. <laughs> Bingo Bulger Major Magic. Bingo Bulger. Bingo Bulger Baggins, uh, Frodo Took, Odo Took, and Sam Gamgee, who are now going to meet Mary, which will give us five hobbits in all, six once Trotter shows up. So much for too many hobbits. That's still he, at least as many like, hobbits. He added more. You know, he added like one more hobbit, so that's cool. Oh my god. The Farmer Maggot incident in this version is so outstanding, right? Okay. Oh my god. I'm like putting my hand on your shoulder right now because I want to brace you for how good this is. Don't touch me. So Tolkien was weirdly attached to the bit where Frodo punks Farmer Maggot using the ring, but he had now established that putting on the ring was extremely dangerous. Right. So we had to justify why Bingo would take the risk. The way he did this was by making Farmer Maggot absolutely demonic. So Bingo says... I used to trespass on his land when I was a youngster at Buckleberry. His fields used to grow the best mushrooms. I killed one of his dogs once. What? I broke its head with a heavy stone. What? Bingo! A, a lucky shot, for I was terrified, and I believe it would have mauled me. He beat me and told me he would kill me the next time I put a foot over his boundaries. I'd kill you now, he said, if you were not Mr. Rory's nephew, more's the pity and shame to the brandy bucks. Okay. So, like, Bingo, um, first of all, murders a dog, and Bingo also puts on the ring around Farmer Maggot because he he thinks Farmer Maggot is literally going to murder him. I think Maggot's justified. If he killed his dog? Yeah. I mean, the that's dog was awful. like attacked. Okay, well, this is here's one that's even worse for you. This okay. is an alternate version okay. of the same story. So we, this is Bingo and Bilbo, were trespassing, as he called it. We had been in the Shireborne Valley and were making a cross-country line towards Stock, rather like today, when we got on his land. It was getting dark, and a white fog came on, and we got lost. We climbed through a hedge and found ourselves in a garden, and Maggot found us. He set a great dog on us, more like a wolf. I fell down with the dog over me, and Bilbo broke its head with that thick stick of his. Maggot was violent. He is a strong fellow, and while Bilbo was trying to explain who we were and how we came there, he picked him up and flung him over the hedge into a ditch. Then he picked me up and had a good look at me. I was going to break your neck, he said. And I will yet, whether you be Mr. Roy's nephew or not, if I catch you round here again. Get out before I do you an injury. He dropped me over the hedge on top of Bilbo. Okay, but like, that's also editorialized a lot. Who's telling the story here? I mean, the way that Bilbo tells it, they were just lost and they ended up on his farm mm-hmm. by accident. And then Farmer mm-hmm. Maggot, like, tried to have a dog eat them. And Bilbo saved Bingo. And then Farmer Maggot is, like, tossing him around. And gonna do him an injury. He's gonna do him an injury. But at the same time, are you saying he's justified in doing it? I don't think doing anybody an injury is ever justified. No, no, don't don't do a hit. But I think at the very least, I think we're getting Bingo's perspective on things. I mean, because Farmega did uh, threaten to snap his neck. Oh yeah, he's, they were trespassing. Would I mean? Would you threaten to snap someone's neck if they were on your property? I mean, we don't have property because we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're poor as f. But like, would sovereign you- citizen, baby, sovereign citizen, defending my home. It's in the law. So Farmer Maggot was just using his own like magical interpretation of the Hobbiton Constitution. Right, where words don't mean what words normally mean. It means he can go anywhere and do anything, it's and when, the cops can't arrest him. It's when you figure out the cheat codes for the cops. Yeah, and exactly. And you just say the magic words, and they say, "Oh gosh, we can't touch you." The cops are instantly like, "Oh, okay, well, everybody back in the car and go home. This guy is this guy's got it figured out." 
That is what Farmer Maggot did. Farmer Maggot would be a sovereign citizen. He don't you be. think? Yeah, like, he, if he, anybody in this story was going to be. He'd probably be the kind of place, like, his farm would probably be, like, the compound where all the hobbits with guns would, would gather when, you know, President Aragorn takes over and they think they're going to take our jarbs. Yeah, and he's, yeah. like, top of the militia. Yeah. And he, like, volunteers as a border patrol person, even though he has no qualifications and nobody ever hired him. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's definitely what he does. But anyway, so Farmer Maggot has gone from being a regular hobbit to a possible nature spirit to a complete psychopath and or a sovereign citizen. All of the above, please. All of the above, please. Anyway, so then they go to Buckland. And Tolkien was toying with the idea of having Odo get left behind at the house at Crick Hollow, which I'm sure was much to Christopher's chagrin. Oh, not the house. Yeah. Well, Odo, he was more worried about it. He wasn't worried oh, so much okay. about the house. I thought about the, the stairs true, and everything. He does love houses, too, though. So this was like a double whammy. Yeah, this is... Oh, um, oh, poor Christopher. In that case, Tolkien was planning on having the Black Riders show up at the Crick Hollow house and Gandalf chase them away, after which Gandalf would take Odo with him on additional separate adventures. Just stick a pin in that for now. Okay. Not a big pin, because it's like not that big a deal, but like a small pin. Mm, okay, okay. They get to Bree. Tolkien made another pass at the beginning of the book at this point. Oh, my God. Um... Bingo Bulger Baggins finally became Frodo Baggins, and Frodo Took became Folco Took, and we're just not going to talk about the rest of it because it's like all the same. But yeah, he's being. Folco. He's Folco. Folco. Butterbur explains in this version that Trotter, who, yes, is still around, is not really a ranger, but he acts like one. So this is the first hint that rangers were supposed to be a special lineage of people rather than just wild hobbits. Okay. But he's a poser. He's not really. He's bad. a poser. Yeah. Like gotcha. Butterbur. Maybe Butterbur was a ranger before it was cool and he's okay. like a little bit better. All right. All right. He's like, there are two things Trotter stole from me. Wes Anderson movies and being a ranger. And my shoes. And my shoes. He's so much. Yeah. And my shoes. Yeah, the shoes thing. Just wait for it. Just wait okay. for it. So, okay. Trotter mentions bumping into Gandalf on the road and says Gandalf had a hobbit with him, and this was Odo. And the two are on the way to Bree to find and warn Frodo about the Black Riders. So, Odo is still with Gandalf, and the two stay at Bree for a while, but leave before Frodo arrives. And BT Dubs, I don't think Tolkien really knew why Gandalf was towing Odo around with him. Um, so maybe it was like witness protection from the Nazgul, or it's maybe it was Christopher. This that's what I wrote. Maybe it yeah. was Christopher refusing to let Odo die. It's Christopher. It's definitely Christopher. Daddy, where's Odo? Uh, he's with Gandalf, uh, having great adventures. Christopher, I, I, I'm not going to write them down in the book because they'd just be far too mind blowing for days. Because he's the best Hobbit, right, Daddy? He's absolutely the best. That's why they left the house to him, Christopher. He's going to be a wizard hobbit, Daddy. Yeah, he's got, he, Gandalf is training him. I think it goes without saying. I don't think I even need to write that bit. I he's going to kill assume. Frodo, Daddy. Well, no. Now, Christopher, Frodo is the protagonist. Not when Odo's around, Daddy. No. Well, okay, Christopher, if that if that's your headcanon. Yay. <laughs> I'm not going to judge anybody. <laughs> Tolkien was all about people's headcanons and not judging people's headcanons. Okay, good. Good for he's him. He's like, ship whatever you want. Very open-minded man. Super open-minded. Uh, anyway, in the note Frodo gets from Gandalf at this point, Gandalf says that Odo has disappeared and may have been captured by Black Riders. Oh, no. Not the best Hobbit. It's a super dramatic twist that never goes anywhere <laughs> at all. It's my favorite kind. Yes. So, uh, and when we get to Weathertop, we get this nice little bit about Sam rehabilitating Bill the Pony. Probably by telling him, like, hey, look in the mirror. Uh, you have a distorted view of your body. What you see in the mirror is not what everybody else sees. You got, like, pony dysmorphia. Like, making him trace his silhouette on the wall and being like, see how much thinner it is than what you're imagining. Um, you're beautiful, Bill. You're beautiful, Bill. 
Bill, focus on what you can control. Look Don't within focus on what and you find the, your inner beauty. Yes. And show that beauty on the outside, Bill. This is largely the same as previous drafts otherwise. Okay. So now we're back at Rivendell. See, we got there pretty fast, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So when Frodo wakes up in Rivendell, Gandalf explains that he was unable to meet up with Frodo earlier because he was captured in Fangorn Forest and held prisoner by the cruel giant Treebeard. Oh, no. Giant Treebeard's a baddie? So, yeah, Tolkien came up with Fangorn Forest. Like, he knew it was going to be in here eventually. He Mm -hmm. came up with that pretty early. But his original concept was that Treebeard would be an enemy. He even wrote an incident where Treebeard captured Frodo. Oh, gosh. Um, and obviously it was Treebeard in these original drafts holding Gandalf hostage rather than Saruman. And this is in, this is in Fellowship, too. This is before Treebeard even shows up. Yeah, yeah. So we already get, like, rumblings of him. Like, one of the earliest things. It was weird. It was, like, in the original imagining of things, they are basically going to go from Rivendell to Moria straight to Treebeard and then to Mordor. Okay. So there was, like, a lot that was not going to be in there. I see. Uh, Gandalf has Odo with him again, so Odo has presumably been been freed, but when Frodo asks, how did you find him again, Gandalf just gives him an odd look and avoids the question. (laughs) So, we never find out what the hell happened to Odo. Do you have any guesses? My guess is that the original Odo died, and Gandalf made a new Odo out of, like, dirt and twigs and stuff and animated it. He breathed life into it. He breathed life into it, and so new Odo was, like, walking around and, like, he couldn't talk, and he kind of, like... Had, like, really empty eyes. Empty eyes and, like, ran into walls a lot. He's, like, a like, weird little homunculus. No, here's my... Here's my... Okay, here's what I think happened. Um, I think that Odo died, but then Gandalf used forbidden alchemy to try and revise him, revive him. Yeah. To try and revive him. But then, in the process, Gandalf lost both an arm and a leg, and he accidentally put his little brother in a suit of armor. That sounds familiar, but it's really original and cool at the same it's time. It's really original and cool. I don't think anybody is 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 going to like I think it's going to be revolutionary. Definitely. Uh once it hits the airwaves. That's really good, Joanne. That's you should, really good, you should, right? You should write that down. Copyright, copyright, um, copyright. Alternatively, Gandalf revived him by lifting his hands up and yelling to everybody on earth to give their energy to him. Oh, yeah. And he made a thing. It was like a bomb, but it was made of a spirit. It's spirits. What would you call that? Like a, like a ghost ball? Like a ghost Like a ghost ball. A ghost grenade maybe? Yeah, like a like a like a bomb de la spirits. Bomb de la spirits. And and then he he put it into Trotter and Trotter revived and then the planet blew up in 5 minutes. All right. Yeah, that's good. That's also really good and original and sounds something that Tolkien probably came up with. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And not Japan. In the 1930s. Japan. Where does that even come? Where do you get Japan from? I just know. I was thinking about. Are you just like randomly talking about Japan? What? Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it might be. I don't know. It doesn't. I was. I just mentioned them because it sounds goofing. like it, it sounds exactly what like what they wouldn't do. Like so what they, I, it's, it's like the exact opposite of what. So Japan when I when I heard do. that, I was like, you know who wouldn't do this? Japan. Japan. Alternately. Maybe Odo was sex trafficked. Oh come on! Maybe he was in the he was in the slavery. I like this. I like the Full Metal Alchemist explanation better. Come on, Full Metal. What are you talking about? What's what's Full Metal? What do you even? You're... Oh, just a name that popped in my head when I was thinking about like, hmm. So if Gandalf's like an alchemist, and he turned Odo into a suit of armor, he'd be like he'd be like fully made of metal, right? And and Gandalf would be like an alchemist, and so he'd be like a, there'd be like a Full Metal guy, and then an alchemist. Ryan, I say this with all due respect. Yeah. You're goofing. I, I might just be making stuff up. You're goofing. But anyway, yeah, we don't know where, where Odo went and we never find out. My goodness. Okay, so we get to this chapter that in Return of the Shadow is called New Uncertainties because at this point, Tolkien was like, you know what? Why don't I just burn the whole house down and start over? Okay. <laughs> 
He doesn't. He doesn't. I'm going to tell you oh, that no. right away, okay? okay? Just so you know, we're not going to go back to the beginning again. But here are some of the things he contemplated. So making Bilbo the hero again and having Frodo and Mary be his sidekicks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or having Bingo slash Frodo be the main character, but making him more comedic. Okay. So basically making him dumber and having him be like, <laughs> Um, Another thing he contemplated, and actually did for a while, giving Bilbo... A long-lost nephew called Peregrine Boffin, who used to be close to him, but disappeared one day, and everyone blamed Bilbo, and no one ever found out what happened to him, and he's presumed dead. This Hmm. was to be Trotter's backstory. Okay. So, uh, as in Trotter is the long-lost Peregrine, which is why he looks familiar to Frodo. I think that's the dumbest one. I mean, that's what he wanted to do. Despite the fact that he was constantly like, should Trotter be a hobbit? I like Trotter to be a hobbit. He made him temporarily not only a hobbit, but a hobbit related to Frodo. That's dumb. Because everybody in this story has to be related. I mean, everybody in Hobbiton is related because, as I've said before, their family tree was like more of a wreath. Right. uh, For better or worse, Tolkien does not rewrite the whole thing, and he carries on with Frodo as the protag, but he does incorporate the peregrine thing. Uh, He then writes an outline of what's to come that's actually kind of stunning in terms of how much the later events of the story it sketches out. So okay. let me tell you this outline real quick. Sure. At end, when Frodo at last reaches cracks in Fiery Mountain, he cannot make himself throw the ring away. He hears Necromancer's voice offering him great reward to share power with him if he will keep it. At that moment, Gollum, who had seemed to reform and had guided them by secret ways through Mordor, comes up and treacherously tries to take the ring. They wrestle and Gollum takes ring and falls into the crack. The mountain begins to rumble. Eruption. Mordor vanishes like a dark cloud. Frodo makes peace and settles down in a little hut on the high green ridge until one day he goes with the elves beyond the towers. He knew where he was going. That's quite interesting. Yeah, like how much is the the rough rough beats are there. Right, right. Okay, so Council of Elrond. This was, I don't know about you, the hardest part for me to get through when I was a kid. It is so much sitting and talking. It's a lot of exposition. It is so much exposition. Um... In this initial version of the Council of Elrond, Bilbo reveals to Frodo that Trotter is the long-lost peregrine. Frodo says, I knew you reminded me of someone, but I was puzzled by your shoes. Why do you wear them? Good question. I shall not tell you now, said Trotter quietly. Oh, I told you this could be his dark backstory. <laughs> no, Frodo, don't ask that yet, said Bilbo, looking rather unhappy. So Tolkien maintains the grandest mystery of all. Why does Trotter wear shoes? I have a theory. So originally, the council itself was like one paragraph long, and it just says, It would take long to tell of all that was spoken in that council under the fair trees of Rivendell. Yes, it would take long. Yes. And yet Tolkien decided he was going to write it all out anyway. You know, just for the historical record. Just for the historical record. Uh, no. So he, after he writes this short version, he immediately writes a more fleshed out version. And one of the first things we learn in the more fleshed out version is that Trotter possibly wears shoes because Sauron captured him in the dead marshes and tortured his feet. Which no. sounds a little kinky, but okay. Uh, foot torture. Oh, that's why he wears the wooden shoes. He's so ashamed of his, of his scarred hobbit toes. Well, so you'd think, except then Tolkien wrote in the margin that it would later be revealed that Trotter has wooden feet. <laughs> I love that. So they're not shoes, they're his feet. That's amazing. Yeah, I don't know how, like, wooden prosthetics worked back then. They're pretty good. I guess, so his feet were tortured in the sense that, like, Sauron cut them off. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Torture, I mean, that's not even torture, that's just, like, getting rid of them. That's just amputation. Torture would be, like, waterboarding. Okay. His feet. (laughs) If he waterboarded his feet. Yeah. My feet can't breathe, I'm freaking out. (laughs) 
like get all wrinkly. Yeah, like super pruny. And Jenner's like, enough, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. I mean, you can't draw it out that long. I mean, it's like no. slice, slice, done. Yeah, torture done. I guess maybe the idea was that like then Trotter couldn't get away. And I don't actually know how he did get away because like it's never explained. Oh, yeah, I'm shocked that we even got as much explanation as he has wooden feet. That is great. Yes. All right. So there's no Legolas or Gimli at the council. And they don't become part of the Fellowship either. So at the end of the council, the Fellowship of the Ring is Frodo, Sam, Mary, Faramond, which is the new name for Folco, which was the new name for Frodo. Took. Oh, Faramond, okay. Faramond. Trotter, Gandalf, and Boromir, okay. who's from the land of Odd. Boromir is, like, shockingly little changed. He came out, like, fully formed of all characters. Except he comes from Ond and not Gondor. Ondor. Ond. And he's not like a cool samurai with chopsticks in his hair. No, man. Which I'm sure was Tolkien's original conception. I, I hope it was. All right. So then we get the Ringo's South slash the Mines of Moria. And this is really quite similar to the corresponding part in the published book. There's just a few minor curiosities. When Trotter expresses doubt about trying to cross the mountain pass, i.e. Mount Caradhras... Gandalf says, it's no good trying to go further south, closer to Rohan, because, quote, the horse kings have long been in the service of Sauron. Those sentient horses that run free across the plains. Dark-sided horses, dark-sided horse boys. (laughs) None shall pass the horse kings. So then there was no good going that way. You don't want to mess with those guys. Don't mess with the horse boys. In the Mines of Moria, it is Sam who drops the stone into the well and makes all kinds of noise that may or may not draw the attention of the orcs. Okay. So instead of a fool of a took, it's a fool of a Samwise, and that is honestly so offensive to me. Yeah. Sam has never done anything wrong in his life. More like Sam dumb. Actually, Samwise, as we've established before, means dumbass. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dumbass Gamgee. All right, this part ends with everybody finding Balin's tomb in the Mines of Moria. And the last words are, Gandalf and Frodo looked at each other. He is dead then. I feared it somehow, said Frodo. But at least in life, he was Balin. He was Balin. (laughs) Balin! Living the life, the life, life. Can we get that song in there? Sure. All right. At this point, Tolkien stopped writing for like a solid year. What? Yeah, he just gave up at this point. He had so much momentum. He got further than he ever had. And then he stopped. Is he going to start over again? Ah, uh, yes. Oh. Spoiler alert, yes. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, kind of. He's okay. got a lot of the foundations. He only needs to make minor modifications. But yeah, this is this is like famous for being the part where he stopped for a long time. Oh, man. So this is the end of Return of the Shadow, huh? This is the end of Return of the Shadow. Man. There are other books in the series. There is uh, the History of the Lord of the Rings Volume 2, which is called The Treason of Isengard. Okay. And then I think there's a third one as well. I'm just amazed how little this book actually covered of like the finished chapters. Like It's, it's amazing how many restarts and false starts and go backsies that this first half of this first book took. Isn't it ridiculous? But then again, have you ever tried to write a novel? Because that's kind of no, how it goes. No, I haven't. And like, it's, I it's like that. Sounds going to be a real pain in the butt. Yeah, it's, it sucks. Damn. I say this as somebody who has like written novels, none of which will ever see the light of day, uh, for which everybody listening should be very grateful. Well, but uh, yeah, it sucks. Have you considered going back and giving someone wooden feet? God, no, I hadn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's scientific. Or I'll just go back and, like, put in spirit bombs. Yeah. Now we're talking. That's what Tolkien should have done. Yeah. Just the total opposite of Japan thing. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Anyway, so that's, yeah, that's where we're going to stop. Wow. I, I think I'm going to take a little break, uh, do some one-offs before we dive into the Treason of Isengard. Sounds good, baby. This is labor-intensive. These are like proper this. books, guys. These are proper books. They are quite dry. And um, because he keeps restarting, it could be like rather exhausting. Yeah, kind of repetitive <laughs> at some point. It can be. It can be. Anyway... What are you going to tell me about George Lucas and his friend Jeff and his well, his wife, who is the hero of this tale? Well, don't spoil the ending. Okay, but we already said that, though, in previous episodes. But Jeff does not make an appearance this time. No, but Jeff! We are gonna... Did he kill himself? Yeah, Jeff is dead. Jeff is dead. Jeff is Jack Porkins, and they actually killed him on set. Oh, crap. Jack was short for Jeff. Oh, my God. All... Wait, Jack is short for Jeff? No, I'm, both have... no, I'm both... Joanna. They both Seriously. have one syllable. <laughs> I'm making this up, dude. I know you're making it up, but it doesn't even make sense because they both have one syllable. No, we're going to continue. This, I don't have a good like title. Last time I was able to call it, oh, I'll call it The Star Wars. The one before that, I call it Journal of the Wills. I don't really have a good title for this one. It's just kind of like Star Wars 1976 to 77. Like the, right. the last couple years last of its production. Years. Or 75, I guess. 75 to 77. Okay. I do have a quick correction. When we were talking last time about spaghetti westerns, I believe I called Sergio Leone... Ennio Morricone a couple times. Wow, you're so racist. You can't even tell the difference. Much like Gandalf can't tell hey, the difference between Hobbits. Mamma mia. You can't tell the difference between Italians. It's, uh, I'm, I'm just, just trying to be an Italian. Mamma mia, mamma mia. I love the spicy meatballs. I don't even know who you are anymore. You disgust me. Sergio Leone is not the same as Ennio Morricone. Did you know this? I didn't know this. Can I tell you something? Yeah. When you said it, I actually like noticed that, but I didn't tell you. Why that. didn't you point it out to me? I, mean, I don't know. I guess I just figured like... Do you want me to sound like an idiot? I, I didn't want to be mean. Do you want the two to be a mean to me? I didn't want to be mean and tell you that you made but a mistake. But I like to point out to whenever you say uh, a Frodo instead of a bingo. Yeah, and I know how that feels. And it feels good, right? It feels terrible. It's the worst part of my week. Oh, mamma mia. It's yeah. quite a big mistake, and I was thinking about it all a week, and I was thinking, oh, should I dub it back in? But no, I want to be honest with my people. Anyway, um, I was tired. I so. love how you're like, I don't want to, like, offend anyone, the fact that I said Ennio Morricone instead of Sergio Leone, so I'm just going to, like, make this offensive Italian accent for, like, five straight minutes. Oh, is that racist? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's... All right. Are so... you part Italian? Mm, I like some spaghetti. Okay, then it is racist. Yeah. If you were at least, like, 5% Italian, then you could be like, it's not racist because I'm Italian. Oh, no. Mamma mia, I'm a being a racist. All right. Anyway, we last kept left off with the Star Wars, the first rough draft of the movie as we know and love it today. After he wrote that first version that we read some wonderful bits from, yes. he went back and did a, an actual proper first draft of it. Got it. The only changes... <laughs> oh, really? There weren't that many changes? ...is the exactly same story, but he changed some names. And so, oh, well, that was what was wrong with the original version. So, That's why it wasn't connecting. It's so because of the names. Here's some examples. Kane Starkiller became Akira Valor. Akira Valor? No, it did not. It did. That is like... Bad naming? What's that Spielberg movie that just came out that was nothing but references? Oh, Ready Player One. Ready Player One. It's a little bit like that. Uh, Deke Starkiller became Bink Valor. <laughs> Anakin Starkiller became Justin Valor. Why is everybody's last name Valor? It sounds objective. Because it's the Starkiller family. Starkiller family Justin. becomes the Valor family. Um, Prince Valorum becomes General Dodona. And the Jedi Bendu became the Dinoga. Okay. And the Sith became the Legions of Leto. Oh. Otherwise, exactly the same. Wait, okay, so why would you rewrite the script? But actually make it all the same except the names are changed. Did he think that was literally the only thing wrong with it? Um, like, he's like, oh, Jeff is going to love it now. Yeah. Everybody's got much dumber names. Well, fortunately, in the next draft, he decided to go back to his original names that he had in the Star Wars and kind of rearrange them a little bit. And so 
Yeah. Akira Valor was not long for this Akira world. Akira Valor is like so annoying. That is like a 14-year-old Sonic the Hedgehog OC. Well, that is very annoying. He, he was a big Kurosawa fanboy and he wanted to shout out his man. Maybe in the 70s it didn't sound that way because yeah. there weren't weeaboos and there wasn't an internet right. yet. But now that we have both weeaboos and internet, it is a Sonic OC. It's the worst name. Yeah. But he kept on writing drafts. Uh, George and his wife Marsha would have barbecues with other filmmakers in Hollywood. And afterwards, George would have his friends, who still stuck around for some reason, read his drafts of Star Wars. And re- What a fun barbecue! And he'd record their reactions. You know what everybody loves? When you go over to somebody's house to have a good time, and they force you to read their, like, multi-hundred-page screenplay. It's great, right? That is so fun when people do that to me. Hey, can you read this, like, really long thing I wrote? Dude, I just came over here for, like, a kebab. I had a kebab. You just give me a kebab? Just a kebab, a kebab and I'm done. A kebab, a kebab and I'm out. And a, and a cold one. But... As you can imagine from last week's readings of the script, it just confused everyone. And the only person who actually claimed to like it was Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, I'm pretty sure Francis Ford Coppola was Coppola. <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> Francis Ford Dracula. I'm, I'm Francis Ford Dracula. I'm pretty sure was lying. No, there was kind of a funny bit. This is again from Michael Kaminsky's book, The Secret History of Star Wars, of Lucas talking about him and Coppola's relationship. And it's just kind of funny. I, it's, just listen to how the relationship sounds, okay? okay? Me and Francis more or less work as collaborators. What we do is look at each other's scripts, look for the casting, and then the dailies on the rough cut and fine cut and make suggestions. We bounce ideas off each other because it's totally different. I'm more graphic filmmaking editing oriented, and he's more writing and acting oriented. So we compliment each other and we trust each other. Half the time he says I'm full of shit, half the time I say he's full of shit. Francis will say, cut that scene out, it doesn't work at all. And I may say, no, you're crazy, that's my favorite scene, I love it. And he'll say, okay, what do I care, you're an idiot anyway. Actually, he calls me a stinky kid. He says, you're a stinky kid. Do what you want. And I just say the same thing back to him. It works because you really need someone to test ideas on. Are you and- serious? It sounds like they hated each other. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. He's like, oh, you little st- you stinky kid. You stinky kid. Stinky kid. <laughs> I love that. Also, can I say, I love the fact that he's like, me and Francis focus on different things in movies. He focuses on like. Story. Like the story and the acting. Like, he focuses on the actual substance. Yeah, well, it's Lucas has been quoted as saying his favorite parts of making movies are, like, the editing part of it, and, like, the, the cameraman stuff. I mean, that's cool, but then he should have just become an editor and cameraman. Like, it doesn't sound like he liked that other stuff. You said he hated writing. Well, what, what are you going to do with a stinky so kid? So he's like, what are you going to do with a stinky He's just too, too much of a stinky kid. So he's getting all discouraged. Again, we said before he's going to do Apocalypse Now, but his deal with the producer imploded and kind of left it up to Coppola to figure it out. He also started to write, working on a story about a 1930s archaeologist called The Adventures of Indiana Smith. Oh! But Star Wars was still just stuck in his head. It's this itch he couldn't scratch. He's like, I have to get this out of my head. So he, he shelved Indiana Smith and got back to working on Star Wars. And so he starts writing more notes in 1975. Here's some notes. Sith Knights look like Linda Blair and Exorcist. Vader, do something evil in prison to Deke. Luke reluctantly accepts the burden. Artist, not warrior. Fear. Established Luke as good pilot. Farm boy. Fulfills the legend of Son of the Suns. Pulls sword from the stone. All he wants in life is to become a star pilot. Leia, tomboy, bright, tough, really soft and afraid. Loves Luke but not admitting to it. Make Han in bar like Bogart. Freelance tough guy for hire. Whole film must be told from robot's point of view. Time lock. The Empire has a terrible new weapon, a fortress so powerful it can destroy a planet, possibly even a sun. It must be stopped before it can be put to use. So, so wait, so Leia is both like tomboyish and tough and also soft and scared? Yes. That's but cool. You get, I mean, the tomboy um, Leia got the put tomboy in. The tomboy you get, you get that? You get Han as like this kind of Humphrey Bogart type guy. I kind of see where he was going. Yeah, the Farm boy thing. Luke. Yeah. I love the Sith look like Linda Blair from Exorcist. Uh, yeah, we never actually see any of them. But uh, it's just fun to, fun to think about that. 
So yeah, I mean, again, if you remember the draft we talked about last week, Luke Skywalker was actually an old general. Here he's re- making him into a farm boy. Yeah. Making him the hero of the story. Pretty interesting Which is stuff. like a more relatable hero for sure. Did you, so what do you, what bad thing do you think he did to Deke in prison? Well, it's kind of, I don't, I, mm. I think he goosed him. Okay, stop. Gosh. I think he pinched his bottom. That's way too inappropriate, Joanna. That's so inappropriate for this PG-rated podcast, pinching bottoms. Yep. But anyway. From you the- talked about pinching asses literally last episode. I didn't. George Lucas did. Okay, I guess that makes a difference. So this all came together in the second draft called The Adventures of Starkiller, Episode 1, The Star Wars. So it's our first use of an episode in the nice. title. And this one is Luke Starkiller in the young man hero role, but this time he's a pudgy, awkward farm boy. Chubby cheek, little Luke. Chubby lumpkins. There's no Kane or General Skywalker. Uh, the force of others that was mentioned only when one line in the original is now expanded to a mystical power. Good. Uh, the big MacGuffin in this story is a kyber crystal that intensifies the power of the force a hundredfold in whoever holds it. Oh. And so this is kind of the thing everyone's trying to get. Uh, and interestingly, the script starts with a quote from the Journal of the Wills. It goes back to that. And the quote goes, In the time of greatest despair, there shall come a savior, and he shall be known as the Son of the Sons. Journal of the Wills, 3, 127. So it's important to let people know at home, it's the Son, S-O-N, of yes. the Sons, S-U-N-S. Yes. So the, the male child of the celestial body that lights our planet. The opening scene is very similar to the final version. You got Vader invading a fleeing rebel ship. Uh, and this draft is also where we get the concept of Darth Vader as a hard-breathing, evil, magic, death knight kind of guy. Yes. Uh, in the older script, he was just a general. He was just a regular guy. He's just this dude, you know? And so he kind of combined the characters of General Vader and Prince Valorum into one guy, making him this, this knight. And but so- didn't he also kind of add in Kane? Because Kane was like, I'm I'm more machine than man. Right, you kind of combine those three ideas into one thing. Yeah. But even at this time, though, it's not really clear if Lucas knew that Vader was part machine. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, I actually have some of the script of this original scene where he actually shows up for the first time in his current appearance yes. and has a battle with Deke Starkiller. So, Deke. Do you want to be Vader or Deke? Okay. I'll be Deke. An awesome. Seven-foot, Black Knight of the Sith makes his way into the blinding light of the cockpit area. This is Lord Darth Vader, right hand to the Master of the Sith. His sinister face is partially obscured by his flowing black robes and grotesque breath mask, which are in sharp contrast to the fascist white-armored suits of the Imperial Stormtroopers. At last we meet. With so much commotion, I expected your master, not merely a servant. Vader is angered by the remark. Taking a deep breath, he raises his arms and every object that isn't bolted down is picked up by an invisible force and hurled at the young Jedi. When the objects reach about two feet of Deke, they are deflected by an invisible shield which surrounds him. The bogan is strong with you, but not nearly strong enough. I'm afraid you'll have to use your weapon, if you're able. I am Lord Darth Vader, first knight of the Sith, right hand to his eminence, Prince Espa Valorum, and master of the bogans. You will not mock me, O my master, for the Ashla is weak, and the force of others cannot save you now. The fearsome Dark Knight ignites his laser sword and takes a defensive stance. The two galactic warriors stand perfectly still for a few moments, sizing each other up and waiting for the right moment. Deke seems to be under increasing pressure and strain as if an invisible weight were being placed upon him. He shakes his head and, blinking, tries to clear his eyes. Your powers are weak! 
Deke makes a sudden lunge at the huge warrior, but is checked by a lightning movement of the Sith. A second masterful slash stroke by Deke is again blocked by his evil opponent. They stand motionless for a few moments, with laser swords locked in mid-air, creating a low buzzing sound. Deke stumbles back against a wall. Slowly, Deke is forced to his knees, as all his energy is drained from his being. Finally, he collapses in a heap. The sinister knight lets out a horrible shrieking laugh <laughs> as stormtroopers rush in with restraining poles, followed by a braided and flashy Imperial commander. Two things I want to say. Yes. First of all, okay, a bogan. A bogan. A bogan is like, like a redneck in New Zealand. Is that right? They're called bogans. Like okay. I, I saw some when I went to this like kiwi sanctuary, and we all had to be silent because the kiwis would get stressed out, but the bogans were like. Like, yelling and, and effing and hooting and hollering at this kiwi. Oh, dang. <laughs> the lady kept being like, it's getting really stressed out. And they were like, ah, kiwi, look at it. It's so fat, it can't fly. Freaking bogans. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Uh, I also included this sick concept art that Ralph McQuarrie did of the second draft. That does look very good. And you look at it, like this is Deke and Vader fighting. They're wearing breath masks because they're in the vacuum of space. Oh, is that why? Mm-hmm. And... The version of Vader that Macquarie drew is very, very close to the final version of Vader. Oh, yeah. In the movie. He looks like the same. Now, Deke looks like a Street Fighter character. He does. He has, like, a gas mask on. It's pretty cool. But besides this beginning bit with Darth Vader, a lot of elements start to fall into place. You get the droids escaping from the starship. Yep. And to send a message to Luke, they have run in with Jawas, who are mentioned for the first time. They make it to Owen and Brew's farm, where Luke lives, this time with his cousin, Leia. Oh, it's a, or she's his cousin. Still not okay to kiss y'all. She's barely... Still not, well, okay, depends on your local laws, but... It's still not okay. She's barely a character in this one, though. She's just kind of mentioned. Uh, in this version, Owen's the one who taught Luke how to use a lightsaber, or laser sword, as it's called in this Whoa, version. Uncle Owen's, like, much cooler. Yeah, he gives him a kyber crystal. He's the one who actually gives Luke this kyber crystal. <gasps> Did he get it while he was out being a geologist or something? Maybe, what? or something. Or something. He hires Han Solo, who this time is a bearded human pilot, and his okay. Wookiee friend Chewbacca, to fly him to this planet called Ogana Major where Vader is attacking at the moment. But in this version, instead of being a slick hotshot pilot, Han's just a cabin boy. Oh. And he steals his captain's ship by tricking his fellow crewman, whose name is Jabba the Hutt. Wait, is Jabba the Hutt like a slug or no, is he just like a guy? He's just a big guy. He's just a big dude. He also, What's the Hutt mean? Just like big dude? Big dude. Jabba the big dude. Jabba the big dude. He also has a girlfriend who's a Boma named Oida. And a boma is described as a fur-covered creature about five feet high and looks like a cross between a brown bear and a guinea pig. Whoa! Okay, I'm trying to envision that. There's a part where Han smooches Oita. That's all I can imagine. I love a guinea pig. He's like, oh, lay some sugar on me, honey. She's like, It's like this big walking capybara. He's like, ooh, I love it when you talk dirty. Oh, the other thing I wanted to point out about yeah. that scene, um, it doesn't say that Deke didn't get pinched on the butt. He didn't get pinched on the butt. Well, it doesn't say that he didn't. He Well, he gets taken to the dungeons of Alderaan. He might have gotten pinched on the butt pinched many the butt. times. He might have, they might have made him like run a gamut where all the other prisoners took turns pinching him on the bottom. Okay. I think that's what Maybe. happened. In this version, Chewie is still a giant fanged bush baby, so that's good. Um, they get to Ogana Major and it's mysteriously destroyed, just like Alderaan. And so they have to figure out what's going on here. They steal Imperial uniforms, and there's an escape from a garbage compactor. It's mostly the same, except instead of the Death Star, it's in the dungeons of Alderaan as they rescue Deke from torture. Uh, Luke uses the crystal and reaches out to his dad, who tells him to meet what? them on the Rebel jungle base in Yavin. But Luke's dad is... Well, not in this version, baby. When you get there, they find his dad, they pay Han, and he takes off with the money, just like in A New Hope, and they get ready to prepare to attack the Death Star. That destroyed Ogana Major. And they're led by their commander, the Grand Moff Tarkin. 
Oh my god! Finally, my favorite character makes his appearance. But this time, he's a rebel captain, rebel commander. Oh, so he, like, switched sides. He's a goodie in this one. Luke's dad uses the kyber crystal to fight the bogan side of the force, while Darth Vader senses Luke flying through around the Death Star and joins the battle in his own fighter. You can sense the, the force of others in him. Han returns at the last minute to blow away Vader, so Luke and 3PO, who's his co-pilot in this one, can hit the Death Star's weak point, and they blow it up in the end. Whoa. So pretty similar. It is pretty similar, except he's calling upon, like, New Zealand rednecks to help him. Yes. Well, the Bogan is the dark side of the Force. The Ashla is the good side of the Force oh, of the others. Ashla. So in this story, as you notice, Luke's dad is a living character, an old, wise man who lives yeah. in the jungles of Yavin, and... That's yeah. not as interesting. Not as interesting, I don't think. That's the second draft. Okay, the third draft comes around and it refines and simplifies the story further. Uh, Luke in this one is an orphan. No brothers and sisters, no deke. Right. He was raised by his uncle and his aunt. Okay. Uh, Luke's dad is cut out completely. Good. Replaced Luke with... Luke doesn't get a dad. That just no. don't make no sense. Replaced with this kooky desert hermit named Ben Kenobi. Oh, oh, now this is starting to sound familiar. And so there's kind of a fun scene, like, you know, in the movie... Luke is kind of beaten up by Tusken Raiders. And then Obi-Wan kind of yells in the canyon, depending on which version you're watching. <laughs> he either makes it sound like a crate dragon or he just makes it sound like a guy going, Oh! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's the version of that in the third draft. It's kind of fun. And I think you might notice some parallels to the other topic of this podcast. So here it goes. You want to be Luke or do you want to be Ben? I will be Luke. Okay. Luke is hanging in a state of bewilderment about ten feet in the air. Large gold bracelets with small antenna are attached to his wrists and ankles. He is spread eagle and slowly rotating. Hot. So he's in the middle of the desert. They put him I mean, there. probably literally hot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. At that moment, footsteps are heard coming through the narrow canyon. R2 scampers back into his hiding place. Luke's face is a roadmap of agony as the footsteps get louder. A huge menacing shadow on the canyon wall gives way to a shabby old desert rat of a man who appears to be at least 70 years old. His ancient leathery face, cracked and weathered by exotic climates, is set off by dark, penetrating eyes and a scraggly white beard. Ben Kenobi squints his eyes as he scrutinizes Luke in his predicament. Good morning. What do you mean, good morning? Do you mean that it's a good morning for you? Or do you wish to wish me a good morning? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. What's the matter, Luke? Having trouble with this dialogue? This totally whoa, original? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Tolkien. Tolkien. All right, I'm going to re finish reading the whole thing, okay. and then the listeners can decide. What do you mean, good morning? Do you mean that it is a good morning for you? Or do you wish me a good morning, although it is obvious I'm not having one? Or do you find that mornings in general are good? All of them together. Lucas! Okay, Lucas, come on! You are goofing. What do you mean? It's totally original dialogue. He is lit! You can't do that! Can you do that? I think he did it. You, the Hobbit was not... It's still not... It's not public domain. You cannot do that. This is still a draft. I, I just love, like, what's, what's more appropriate for this situation? What's more, like, appropriate to evoke... Than like a stuffy little hobbit sitting and smoking a pipe in the Shire. Well, I mean, a wizard. I mean, I guess Ben is a wizard. He's not unlike Gandalf in that he's kind of the one who has the call to adventure. But Luke is the one that gets Gandalf's line. Yeah, I know. Isn't and I can't think, like, Luke, I mean, it sounds so weird coming out of Luke's mouth. Like, it sounds like he's suddenly doing a Gandalf impression. Right. It, it, this definitely should be more of, like, a, a Ben Kenobi line, if he's how he's supposed to be. But... That's so bizarre. That is so bizarre. <laughs> you never told me about that. No, I didn't know about it till now. And I, to get him out of this trap, Ben just shoots him with his gun. Oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> and he falls. <laughs> so, uh, literally, the old man shows up, Luke quotes the Hobbit, and then the old man, like, shoots blasts him, and, and he falls, and he gets shot. Besides that... That weird bit that I thought was kind of interesting. Yes, yes. A lot of other things are locking into place. We got Princess Leia as a tomboy who takes the guns from the boys and does her own thing. Yes. We got the kyber crystal still in the story. 
And Darth Vader and Ben Kenobi have a laser sword fight at the end. So just like in our in our story. In between, there's also a treatment that, that Lucas did where all he did was change Luke into a girl. Okay. And there's actually production art of this. Yeah. So here's some art of, of Luke as a girl from Ralph McQuarrie again. Yeah, she looks pretty tough. So there's a one in-between draft, maybe a draft, uh, you know, 3.5 Do we or know why he wanted to change it? I mean, not that if you think about it, it well, doesn't affect the plot that much if Luke is a girl. No, but it's interesting because Lucas does say, like, he realized the story didn't have any women in it. Like, Oh, wow. He realized that? He said, like, I, it's weird to have a story like this without any female characters. Wow. What if we had, he like the idea of having a young, young kid and, and an old mentor in the story. Oh. And so, like... What if it was like a, a teenage girl and an old an old guy? Oh, he being so woke. But then, yeah. but then, see, okay. But I want to say this now to all those fanboys out there that are right. like super mad because they think that like they're putting too many chicks in the new movies. That's like Lucas's vision. Yeah, and honestly, if you look at the sketch of Luke as a girl, I think she, like the way like her goggles look is very much like how they did Rey's. Yeah, she Force does kind of look like Ray Ray, doesn't she? Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah. But in between, he changed back to a boy and made the fourth draft, which is basically the movie we have today. There's no more Kyber Crystal. The Death Star plans are now the MacGuffin of the story. We got snappy one-liners. Greedo's introduced and then killed. We got the true Grand Moff Tarkin making his grand appearance. The idea that Luke's father was killed by Darth Vader is part of the story now. Ben, who's also called Obi-Wan, is killed by Vader in their duel. And to be honest, the reason it's, it's kind of so solid is that a lot of it was rewritten and punched up by Lucas's friends, Willard Hayek and Gloria Katz. Got it. Got it. I was going to say, like, witty one-liners. That is yeah. not what we have seen from uh, Lucas so far. He brought them in. He's like, my script is, my friends don't like my script. Here, help me with it. And so they punched it up. And they also helped write American Graffiti. Oh, and we're kind okay. of pretty close buds with, with George Lucas. Yeah. Um, later on, Willard would direct and Gloria would write for Lucas's greatest achievement of all time, Howard the Duck. Oh, wow. They really, I mean, their career took a turn. You can see Willard maybe more of a writer than a director in this case. So was it Willard or was it Katz who decided it would be a good idea to have Howard the Duck try to have try, try to stoop uh, Marty McFly's mom? That was George Lucas's idea. Okay, so he was like, we gotta have this in here, guys. I'm like, I don't know, George, like... It's my vision. This might be kind of disturbing to people, the fact that you open up Howard's wallet and there's, like, a used condom in there. He's like, it's gonna kill. It's, it's gonna, gonna slay kids, them. Kids will love this. Kids are gonna love this. Kids are also gonna love the part where Howard the Duck drives a golf cart into the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day <laughs> off to kill him. Yeah. Kids are really gonna connect with that. Kids are gonna love it. We I want everybody to know that I warned Ryan, like, how crappy Howard the Duck was, like, beforehand, and he and our friend ganged up on me and, like, tried to convince me okay. that it was gonna be well, fun, and then we watched it, and it wasn't fun. You both agreed with me. Uh, well, Mary had seen it before, and she told me it wasn't that bad. And Mary I, thinks Yahoo Serious is not that bad. I agree with her on that. Yahoo Serious is I know is you love fun. I know, I know. Um, but anyway, thanks to Willard Hayek and Gloria Katz, they basically made Star Wars not only readable, but at least mostly actable. I know that, that uh, Harrison Ford is kind of on record as saying, like, George, you can type these lines, but you can't read them. But at this point... That's fair. Like, you know, they did the best they could with... They polished a turd. Yeah. But so in early 1976, finally, the film was greenlit, and the filming of The Adventures of Luke Starkiller is taken from the Journal of the Will, Saga 1, The Star Wars began. Oh, yeah. See, he's so good at, like, catchy, witty titles. Yeah. A month into production, Lucas decided to change Starkiller to Skywalker, uh, this was largely because at in the time in the news, the Manson murders were going around. <gasps> and everyone Star Killer of Stars. And so people are like, Hey George, you're making a movie about like space murderers? And he's like, No, 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 I'm sorry. Like it is like is he gonna like 
murder space Sharon Tate? Like, what's going to happen right. here? Again, they reuse this name and the Force Awakens, Starkiller Base. Yes. But at the time, George is like, no, let's make my hero sound like a good guy, not like a murderer of planets. And so that was a big change. It's notable, too, that in this final draft, Darth Vader is never indicated to be Luke's father, nor Leia his sister, despite what Lucas has come to say in Oh, he sounds like he had it planned out. Okay, if that's the case, then why did you have Leia, like, smooch Luke on the lips? And I mean... In the second movie, yeah. you pervert. And as you see... In, okay, maybe not that far, but <laughs> if you see, you've seen these... You've gone through these drafts with me, like... None of these have indicated that Darth Vader is in any way related to Luke. Not at all. We've had definitive characters that are Luke's father and Vader as separate people. Yes. In the same movie. So the whole idea of them being planned from the start is a bit suspect. Lucas didn't even think he was going to make a second movie at this point. So I think that's kind of interesting. You have to remember that this is just Star Wars by itself. Not no, A New Hope, no episodes attached, but just right. Star Wars. Right. The standalone movie. I mean, there's no indication at the end of A New Hope that there's going to be a second movie. No, like, not. they all get awarded with medals and then the movie ends. Right. But anyway, the film was made. It was filmed. Sets were built. Creatures were created. Industrial light and magic was founded. A big deal. But as exciting as it was, Lucas had a really hard time making Star Wars. And so here's him talking about it. I struggled through this movie. I had a terrible time and it was very <clears throat> unpleasant. American Graffiti was unpleasant because of the fact there was no money, no time, and I was compromising myself to death. But I could rationalize it because of the fact that, well, it's just a $700,000 picture. It's Roger Corman. And what do you expect? You can't expect everything to be right making a little cheesy, low-budget movie. But this was a big, expensive movie, and money was getting wasted, and things weren't coming out right. I was running the corporation, and I wasn't making movies like I'm used to doing. American Graffiti had like 40 people on the payroll, and that counts everybody but cast. I think THX had about the same. You control a situation like that. But on Star Wars, we had over 950 people working for us, and I could tell a department head, and he would tell another assistant department head, and he'd tell some guy, and then by the time I got down the line, it was not there. I spent all my time yelling and screaming at people, and I, had, and I have not had to do that before. It doesn't really sound like anybody else would have had a good time on that movie either, George, right. if you were running around yelling and screaming at him. So when the film was finally completed, another thing from Michael Kaminsky's book, George Lucas was sure to be a disaster. In his mind, it already was a disaster. Robots that never worked, sets that were too small, rubber masks that were laughable, his inability to emotionally connect with strangers and properly articulate his vision, a foreign crew that was at times hostile to him, homesickness and special effects that were too limited, coupled with a hard time in the editing room, convinced Lucas that the film was a strange and bizarre failure. So he also was quoted as saying, we faked the whole thing and a lot of it was done editorially. All so right. there we go. He was quoted as saying in 1980, I hate directing. It's like fighting a 15-round heavyweight bout with a new opponent every day. You go to work knowing just how you want a scene to be, and by the end of the day, usually depressed because you didn't do a good enough job. Well, if he hates it, then why did he keep doing it? Well, control. I think this kind of explains a little bit why he goes back and changes so much in the special editions, because he just felt like nothing he was making was turning out how he imagined it. And so that's why he's kind of this, he kind of went back years and years and years to, to tweak and edit his movie. But I think we've mentioned maybe before that, like, constraints yeah. are sometimes, like, really, really good Definitely. for creativity. And so when you remove those, you get some nonsense. Right. Anyway, onto the editing. Yeah. We mentioned Marsha earlier. Here's where she comes into play. Lucas had an editor at first, but he didn't agree with what he was doing. So he fired him and he said, Marsha, my dear, my darling wife, please edit my movie. And so she did. She started from scratch and edited it from the beginning. And she was already a skilled film editor at this point who was big in the industry. And she had to do a lot, okay? I bet. Yeah, she worked for like nine months editing this movie. 
And so she had to change up the order of some scenes and scrap others entirely. So I'm not sure if you've seen any deleted scenes from Star Wars. There's a really good documentary <coughs> called Deleted Magic. Yeah. It's on, I say documentary. It's basically just a, a compilation of deleted scenes from Star Wars, but with like notes under, under them, like in subtitles. It's on YouTube. It's pretty fun. There's a whole scene with Luke palling around with his friends on Anchorhead. Anchorhead's like a city on Tatooine. Oh, that was in the book. I read the novelization of Star Wars. That was in the book. You know, Deke and Windy and Fixer and Cammy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's basically just like this bit where they're working on a spaceship and Luke's just being a twerp. And it's like American Graffiti in space. And Marshall's like, yank it out. Don't need it in there. Useless. Doesn't tell us anything we don't already know. Get out of there. The order of things was kind of weird in the original script, too. So, like, Vader's whole choking scene, the one where he's, like, explaining the power of the Force to... to was that um, Tarkle's, Tarkle's cousin-in-law? Yeah. That whole scene came before Obi-Wan explaining the Force to Luke. So, basically, you had your introduction of the Force coming from Darth Vader. Whoa! Which is kind of a bad first impression. That doesn't sound like a good thing. Uh, she also cut out the Jabba the Hutt scene that was re-added back into the special yeah, edition. Yeah, 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 the one where he's, like, walking around him. Because and... in the original, it wasn't a slug man. It was a man, like, a fat man in a fur coat. Yes, yes. She realized that's useless because we already had a scene with Greedo earlier, and he basically relays the exact same information. Oh, yeah. Just in a more interesting way. And so, yoink, get out, get yes. out. So she's chopping and screwing this whole movie. Uh, most importantly, though, she really changed up the climactic battle of the movie. So you know the the final bit of the movie where they're doing the Death Star run, and yeah. the Death Star's about to fire on Yavin 4, and it's like really a tense situation. It's one of the most like perfectly edited bits of a movie I've seen Yeah, ever. it's great. It's like so much momentum and excitement, like so much ratcheting tension. It's great. But in the original version, uh, the Death Star wasn't actually about to attack the Rebel base. What? What was it going to do? It was just floating in space. What? And so so what a mistake! So you'll notice, if you watch A New Hope, all of the scenes where they're talking about the Death Star coming into sight of Yavin and, like, getting his lasers ready. That's all done over, like, reused footage and Ooh. voiceovers. Oh! Princess Leia never mentions it. What? Luke never mentions it. That was all Marsha. She went back and said, George, there's no tension here. We gotta, we gotta ratchet it up. And so she went back and got some recordings, and she reused scenes from earlier in the movie and moved them around and brought that into, uh into its forefront there. Marsha, what an MVP. Like, that's like a major plot point in the movie. dumb that would be? Pointless, right? Like, oh, we, you know, like, it might do something someday, so we should just attack it. And she also realized that the original script, George made the trench run really not that exciting. So, like, originally, they did two runs at the exhaust port. Yeah. They went in once and failed. They turned around and did it <laughs> did again. It again? Oh, okay, no, it's, it's cool, buddy. We got, we got all the time in the world. Just give it another go. So she had to rearrange everything, and she told George... If the audience doesn't cheer when Han Solo comes in at the last second in the Millennium Falcon to help Luke when he's being chased by Darth Vader, the picture just doesn't work. Yeah, and so I would agree. Originally, it didn't, and so she had to really tighten it up. Wow. So sorry, so she didn't edit the script, she just edited the finished product. No, yeah, she had no, nothing to do with the script, but the final... The Howard the Duck people <laughs> edited the script. Yes. Cool. No, but she, she, she made the movie basically what it is today. Wow. It's pretty great. Yeah, so in late spring of 1977, they had a screening at their house of the final cut of Star Wars. And when the lights came up, Marsha was in tears, and she thought it was awful. Oh, no. Steven Spielberg and Brian De Palma were there. Yeah. Brian De Palma tore it apart. <gasps> he mocked Lucas when the group went out for dinner afterwards to discuss the picture. Oh, my God, what a dick! But Spielberg said, No, oh, George, George, this is a modern classic. This is super cool. But Lucas was not believing it. He was already just like, 
heartbroken. This movie was going to be terrible, he thought. And so since he was so sure it was going to be a failure, at this point, Lucas tried to hedge his bets on sequels by commissioning Alan Dean Foster to write sequel novels for him. Oh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye? Exactly. So there's a book called Splinter of the Mind's Eye that was written in 1978. And the whole idea is that this book would be easily filmable because it would have similar sets from the original movie, same actors, small cast. They could make it very cheaply and not have to worry about like the big budget excess and lose a lot of money like Star Wars was destined to do. Lucas had some other thoughts on sequels in 1976 that were kind of stupid, so let me read those. <laughs> okay. I want to have Luke kiss the princess in the second book. Gross! Okay, so gross! The second book would be Gone with the Wind in Outer Space. She likes Luke, but Han is Clark Gable. <laughs> in the third book, I want the story to be just a soap opera of the Skywalker family. It ends with the destruction of the Empire. Oh yeah, because people were watching it for a soap opera. That's why people were watching it. This is interesting, it. though. It says, Then someday I want to do the backstory of Ben Kenobi as a young man. The story of the Jedi and how the Emperor eventually takes over and turns the whole thing from a Republic into an Empire. Okay, he does do that. Tricks all the Jedi and kills them. Okay, so when he says that he had that in mind early on, I believe him. But when he says that he had in mind that Leia was Luke's sister, no. I do not believe him, because why else would he literally say, let's right. have Luke kiss the princess? And this is not a script. This is just a spitball on ideas. Right, right, right. This is Alan Dean yes. Foster, right? So anyway, 1977 rolled around, and Lucas was so exhausted with Star Wars, and he thought it was going to be a huge failure. So him and Marsha went on vacation to Maui the week the movie came out, because they for sure like did not want to deal with all the hassle of having a flop on their hands. Yes. But they came back from Hawaii, and surprise, surprise, Star Wars was a massive hit right off the bat. Whoa. As a fun little epilogue to the story, at the Oscars in 1977, Marsha got it for best editing. She should. She deserves it. She did. And so, did she edit the other two? Mm, yes. Okay. She did. See? She did. And they divorced, divorced in 1983. So The editing in those is much better than in the prequels. Yes. A lot of this information, like I said, came from Michael Kaminsky's book, The Secret History of Star Wars. Um, there's also a really good video uh, by David Welsh on YouTube called How Star Wars Was Saved in the Edit. And again, I recommend the documentary Deleted Magic also on YouTube Deleted if you're interested in this Magic. If you liked what you heard today, or if you, you didn't, but you still want to be, like, awesome and give us listens. We won't complain. You don't have to actually like it. You can hit us up on Apple Podcasts. You can go to our website, www.whatslightsabersprecious. You can see us on Twitter and Facebook if you're into social media. Like, if you're a Zuckerberg, if you're a Cuckerberg for Zuckerberg, then you Ooh. can absolutely go on there. And then what else can you do? Um, Tell a friend. Send us, send us goods and services. Please. I mean, we. I want correspondence. I want to learn from you people. If you have things that you need to tell us, teach me. I want to learn. We have so much to teach each other. I believe. We truly do. Honestly, end of the day. Like, we can teach you about Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, and maybe you can teach us how to have friends? Yeah. Or at least how to hire a, a dwarf manservant. Dwarf <laughs> If you if you are a dwarf manservant and you are searching for gainful employment, please get in touch. Please get in touch. We want to talk to you. Yes. All right. Well, that'll do then. All we'll right. see you guys next week. Bye, Ebits. Bye, Hobbox. Lates. Peace.